broadcasting on the Drug Truth Network, this is Cultural Baggage. It's not only inhumane, it is really fundamentally un-American. My name is Dean Becker. I don't condone or encourage the use of any drugs, legal or illegal. I report the unvarnished truth about the pharmaceutical, banking, prison, and judicial nightmare that feeds on eternal drug war. Welcome to this edition of Cultural Baggage. Surely, if a politician were to vote for drug reform, he'd be drummed out of office. Or would he? Today, we're going to talk to several politicians across America who are running for political office, and we're going to find out if having drug reform as a plank in your platform is a good or a bad thing. We begin our analysis in New England. Well, as we near the uh, 2006 election cycle, we're uh, glad to have with us several folks uh, here on the Drug Truth Network, including from the state of Connecticut, running for governor, Mr. Cliff Thornton. Till a few months ago, you were reporting to us regularly, but uh, this campaign season has gotten quite hectic and thick. Tell us how it's going there in Connecticut. It's going fairly well, but first of all, we got to remember, for drug policy reformers like myself, the natural progression is to run for political office, and this has proven to be very effective in that it has tripled my schedule. For instance. Instead of me now looking for speaking and interview uh, venues, they are now coming to me to perform interviews and have me speak at various organizations about my candidacy. For instance, this past Saturday I was invited to uh, speak at the community colleges uh, of Connecticut's gathering where they had the three three candidates there. Well, really it was supposed to be four However, only three showed up. The governor couldn't make it for some reason, or obvious reasons, I should say. Both Democratic hopefuls were there, and I was very well received by the crowd. The other thing is that since announcing the uh, candidacy in February, I have gotten six mainstream TV interviews in, in CBS, NBC, and ABC affiliates, and it's been very well received. The print media in Connecticut has been very helpful in that they knew me prior to running for governor, and they literally were breaking down the door to get interviews and pictures and my comments about the election. Well, Cliff, there's uh, kind of an old adage, I think it is, that uh, drug policy is the third rail. Politicians have been unwilling to touch it over the years, But I don't think that holds any water anymore. Your thoughts on that, sir? Well, in many respects, Dean, they are still trying to keep it out of the main media because, as you you well know, and your listeners, they don't want to touch it because they cannot defend the policy. And at every turn, they try to avoid it. But what I'm trying to do is to, first of all, make them talk about it. And while they are talking about it, we can just literally wipe the floor with them on this particular subject. And people know that the drug war is two degrees from everything. Here in Connecticut, uh, in the last uh, 15 years, this state has spent a billion dollars on prisons. But yet and still, they are overflowing, 
and they had been sending the inmates to uh, places like Virginia. They have since stopped that. However, the, it does not help the prison population. So I think this is a good venue to get more exposure for uh, drug policy reform type people. I, I think uh, when we first started talking, you, you mentioned the fact that it's part of a natural progression that uh, uh, reformers step into the politics of this issue. Uh, clarify that for us. Well, yes. <clears throat> I have been literally speaking and organizing all over the world. Uh, but what, what it doesn't do is it does not put you with the uh, mainstream politicians and many respects with the mainstream uh, authorities. Because, as I said earlier, they don't want to touch this issue. But now, seeing that I'm in many of the same venues that they are, now they have to really come across and talk about this issue, um, not in the way that I would talk about it, but at least try and defend the policy. So coupled with, in the greater Hartford area, the landmark conference in October at Trinity College on drug policy, where we brought in quite a few national reformers, it has stimulated what we call community conversations, where four or five people... Uh, and upwards will come and have me come to their house and talk about my candidacy and also uh, the uh, drug policy reform arena. Well, Cliff, if folks wanted to uh, learn more about your campaign, uh, what might they? Where might they visit on the web? Uh, they can go to votethornton.com. And once again, keeping our focus on New England. This is Kevin Zee running for U.S. Senate in Maryland in a unity campaign, bringing together all the parties and attendance to challenge the two-party system. Kevin, this show, uh, we're dealing with a lot of folks that are running for office who also happen to believe that the drug war is a complete failure. I know right. that's, that's not the full component. That's not your um, single plank. You have a lot of other issues you'd like to address. Tell us about those, please. Well, I'm running a peace, justice, democracy, and prosperity campaign. I'm trying to end the Iraq war, prevent an attack on Iran. Under justice, I want to restore our civil liberties, repeal the Patriot Act. Under democracy, I want to see a much more vibrant and open democracy with more candidates, more choices for voters. And also I want to see under prosperity, uh, facing up to the rich-poor divide that is uh, the widest it's been since the 1920s. Uh, drug policy is an issue I've worked on for almost 30 years, and it's an issue I care a great deal about, and it's part of my justice plank. I think the drug war is a clear failure, and there are better alternatives that we can pursue. I, I draw a uh, direct comparison between many of the tactics of the drug war and how they've been uh, ratcheted up, implemented, and uh, thrown into this war of terror. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that we, uh, we're in a very militaristic, police-minded mode in the United States. It's been that way really for a couple of decades. It's gotten worse since 9-11, but it's been going on for quite some time. And both parties are complicit in both the drug war and the terror war and the wars of aggression around the world. And uh, that's one reason why I'm challenging the two parties, because uh, you, can know, you know from the drug war that the, the, the Democratic Party is as guilty as the Republican Party. The Democrat President Bill Clinton put a general in charge of drug policy, a health issue. Uh, and so he, he, he was no better than the, the Republican candidates were. And I think the same is true on war and peace issues. You look at the, the Democratic Party, they, they vote consistently for these wars. They voted for the Patriot Act. Uh, they're voting to undermine our civil liberties. They continue to raise the debt 
Uh, the, the debt ceiling needs to, to, to almost doubled in size in the last five years. And so we're seeing both parties really selling this country out, and they're, they're selling this country out to a military police state that we don't need to see. You can get more about my information on uh, my, my, my campaign on my website, which is uh, www.zeesforsenate, that's Z as in zebra, E-E-S-E. Uh, our campaign bird is geese, and our, our favorite slogans are zeese for peace and zeese and resist. <laughs> I, I, I like it all. I like it all. Uh, the truth is, I think the American public, as well as even the corporate media, is beginning to see the need for this country to embrace truth, to embrace the, the liberty and freedom that we have been uh, only uh, giving lip service to for several years now. Yeah, I think everyone recognizes that we're in trouble in this country. Uh, people look at the two parties and they say by two-thirds both parties are corrupt. They say by more than two-thirds neither party has solutions to our problems. Uh, they, they recognize that both parties are out of step with them on issues like health care, uh, which we can make available for all if we would just challenge the health insurance industries. They recognize the part the country is being sold out to the highest bidders, and those, are, by the way, is the word of, uh, of Senator John McCain. Um, John McCain said that our electoral system is nothing less than a massive influence peddling scheme, where both parties sell the country to the highest bidder. I think we can see that the impact of that in the drug war, the the the, the prison industrial complex having too much power over drug policy. We see it in the our, our foreign policy with the military industrial complex having too much control, and our health policy with the health insurance industry and the pharmaceutical companies having too much control. It's really time to challenge these two corporate parties, and more and more commentators from across the political spectrum are saying that, that these two parties don't represent the people's interests. In fact, a poll of Americans asked the very simple question, do you feel represented by your current elected official? In our great representative democracy, only 17% of Americans can say yes to that, so 83% say, no, they don't feel represented. I'm part of the 83%. I think, I think it's time for us to start to vote for what we want and what we believe in and stop voting in the straitjacket of the two parties that force us to vote for lesser evils when we hold our nose and go to the ballot box. Time to vote for what we want, what we want, what we believe in, what our heart desires. Wow, Kevin, I'm tempted to leave it right there. I, I do want to ask you one other question. Sure. Um, again, this, is, uh, this program is dealing with the impetus, the, uh, the growth of people willing to stand up and tell the truth, to uh, stand up to this two-party system and to demand a change. What would you tell others out there who might be considering uh, picking up the mantle, running for office? Well, I, I tell people, you know, they've got to get involved in politics. You know, for 30 years I was an activist on a whole range of issues, and what I discovered was that we could be right, we can have the facts on our side, we can even have a majority of public opinion on our side, but those in power will ignore us. And so we have to challenge those in power. And so whether you want to run for office, uh, that's one thing you can do. If you can't run for office, support those who do. Send a donation. Money is very challenging uh, and very important to campaigns, and we're not going to the corporate interests, the special interests that fund the two parties, so we need people to step forward and send donations, and you can do that at zeesforsenate.org. And, you know, if you, if you, if you can't uh, run, can't donate, then volunteer. You've got to get involved in politics, because if you don't take control of politics, politics will take control of you. And if not now... When I mean, we are facing such major problems in our country. The next two decades are going to be critical to really the survival of our democracy, and it's going to take the citizens to get active and take the country back. Meanwhile, way down south in Dixie. Hello, everyone. This is Loretta Nall, and I'm the Libertarian Party candidate for governor of Alabama in the 2006 election. Loretta, this week we're talking to uh, various people around the country who are running for office and who 
have drug reform as one of the planks in their platform. Tell us about your efforts thus far. Uh, my efforts have been very well received in Alabama. I'm getting a lot of uh, support via the internet and people that I'm meeting on the street uh, uh, that you know they support that. In Alabama, we did a poll in 2004. It was for medical marijuana in the um, Mobile Press Register, but also in those questions were included. You know, how do you feel about the legalization of marijuana? And 13% of those polled said they favored outright legalization, while 70% of those polled said they favored something, you know, the maximum penalty should be a small fine, uh, and that, that should be all that should occur for somebody for simple possession. So you have a total of about 83% of people polled that want some change in the marijuana laws, and I have had really uh, excellent success talking about it. Uh, the media is interested. I've been invited to uh, some of the debates, and I've, I've been invited. I've spoken at the uh, Parent-Teacher Association convention with uh, a lot of the other gubernatorial candidates. I interject uh, the drug policy debate into every forum that I do, and uh, I have I have been very well received. We have a major prison crisis here in Alabama that's being driven by the drug war. We've got 28,000 people in prison that was built for 12,000. Thirty-one percent of them are there for nonviolent drug offenses, and that's about 95 million taxpayer dollars a year just to house them in prison. That doesn't include all the other things that go in to put them in prison. Uh, but I haven't run into any hardcore opposition. Uh, I've been invited to speak at most of the other places that the gubernatorial candidates uh, will be speaking at, and uh, they have not really tried to exclude me. In fact, I've gotten more media coverage in Alabama and also on a national level than any other libertarian party candidate uh, for governor in Alabama ever, and maybe probably a lot of other places in the U.S. I've had great success. Well, and uh, talking about exposure on the national level, uh, just recently you were on the Alan Combs radio program. Tell us about that. Uh, that was really uh, a wonderful experience for me. Um, how that came about was uh, a couple of newspaper guys here in Alabama, a couple of dirty old men, uh, decided to engage in a discussion about my anatomy as opposed to my platform planks and, and try to be dismissive about I'm just running for fun. And so um, I confronted both of them about it rather publicly, and uh, the, the editor of one of the newspapers printed my letter in, in which I they shown a picture of me showing cleavage that they dug up off the Internet instead of contacting my campaign directly uh, for a campaign photo. And I got kind of hot about it, so I, I wrote and uh, used humor to diffuse the situation. I said, you know, now that, uh, if nothing else, you got me the horny guy vote that exists among your readers, and uh, now that you and the rest of Alabama have been introduced to the twins, perhaps you'd like to meet the rest of me. I'll don my burka so y'all won't be offended, and we can discuss the other planks on my platform since you only chose to discuss one. And they printed the letter, and uh, it hit the Internet, and the blogosphere picked up on it. Uh, it was the boob and panties enter the Alabama gubernatorial race. And that also goes back to the, the story about the Great Prison Panty Rebellion of Alabama back in 2005. Um, and the blogosphere picked up on it. It put me, uh, I was number one on Technorati for over 24 hours. Uh, I was beating out people like Porter Goss and Stephen Colbert and the Patrick Kennedy's entanglement with the you know, traffic barrier uh, in Washington, D.C. So that was really huge. And aside from that, the Alan Combs show, of course, picked up on uh, the press release that we did. We launched something called a Flash for Cash campaign. I thought I'd have a little fun with it. We got Flash animations made where... Uh, you can donate uh, $2, uh, and you get to stick it in my top. And if you donate 20 you get to stick it in the waistband of my skirt. And for $50, I'll show you the biggest boobs in Alabama politics. 
And so the media, the national media really loved it. They loved the idea of it, and they like seeing somebody that's got some, I don't know, testicular fortitude to stand up and, and take on the establishment, kind of like I do. And the Alan Combs show picked it up. Uh, they said they went to my website and were fascinated by what they saw and wanted to interview me. That interview went really well. Uh, Alan Combs is a, probably a big supporter of, of changing the drug laws. Um, he did a wonderful interview, got a lot of exposure and feedback from that. And then MSNBC um, on Monday of this week, on May the 8th, did uh, a segment on me and the influence that my website and my candidacy are having on the uh, drug debate. And I didn't know they were going to do it. I was really kind of surprised that they did and didn't call me, but they had picked it up off of Technorati and... They went to the website. Um, they did the little flash animation for $2. The senior producer said he gave $2. He found the website fascinating, agreed with much of what I said on, on all of the issues, and encouraged people to, to go and visit um, that. And we've had also, I've done lots of you know major radio stations. I've done 96 Rock out of Atlanta, and there was Z93 out of Saginaw, Michigan. And I'm speaking um, on May 21st to the National Coalition of 100 Black Women in, in uh, Tuskegee, Alabama. So I've had, you know, great success in the media as well. The media seems to be ready for candidates who are willing to take on drug policy reform. They seem excited, here in Alabama anyway, about, you know, somebody that's willing to, to stand up and make the, the election really interesting by, you know, speaking truth to power and not, you know, getting on the, your bicycle and riding it around the room and not saying anything, which is what we always see in elections. As I make these calls to various folks around the country, the, the one thing that I keep hearing is that there is no resistance, no uh, opposition to speak of to the, to the uh, idea that a change to these drug laws is necessary. What might you tell other politicians around the country who might be considering uh, talking about it? Well, I would tell them that there really is, the support is out there, that it's a matter of, People are afraid to let their elected officials know that they support something like DCRAM because they're afraid that the police are going to come kick in their door. But there, there are a lot of elected officials, even here in Alabama, that I have, you know, made relationships with over the last couple of years, and that's where they are as well. They want laws change. They may not want our right legalization, but they realize that putting people in jail is wrong. Uh, so to the politicians, we have to get them. They're afraid of uh, a citizen backlash that they won't be reelected. And what we can do in that regard is to show that uh, in the medical marijuana states and the politicians that have taken on this issue before, that they have never been defeated uh, in the next election with the, where they were running. So there isn't any uh, statistical evidence to prove that they would you know, lose any votes. And I'm hoping that you know, in this election, uh, I'm hoping to win, obviously, but one of the things that I want to come out of it is to show uh, the Democrats and the Republicans uh, how much support there really actually is, how much, how much in numbers and what a voting block, a very powerful voting block, we can be when we, uh, when we come together. Well, we've been speaking with Loretta Nall, running for governor as a libertarian candidate in the state of uh, Alabama. Uh, where did, what is your website, Loretta? My website is uh, www.nallforgovernor, and that's N-A-L-L-F-O-R, governor.com. Yes, Truth be told, everyone you've heard thus far is running for the first time for office. But it can be done again and again, as it has been done in Hannibal, Missouri, by a member of Law Enforcement Against Prohibition. Hey, my name is uh, Willie Richmond, and um, I ran for uh, Marion County Commissioner 
1994 and was elected, and I've been elected ever since. Uh, I will run again in uh, 2008. Uh, I, w- I had previously served on the Hannibal, Missouri uh, City Council and in the late 80s. And uh, I've always been pretty politically active in the community. Today we're focusing on politicians who have examined the policy of drug war and who have uh, been willing to discuss it openly during their campaigns. Has uh, has this come up in your uh, political campaigns? Uh, yes, it has. The reason it has is because I've made it an issue. Uh, people tell me not to talk about it because it will hurt my campaign. But uh, I feel very strongly about the war on drugs as a tragedy in this country, and I've always made it an issue. I have had uh, my opponents use what I've said against me in my campaigns and uh, tried to make it an issue to use against me, uh, but I've always won. If a person takes the time to examine the evidence, uh, there's only one conclusion, that this drug war is not working. Well, unfortunately, I wish you were right on that, but uh, I don't know if people just don't take the time, but uh, there's a lot of people who really believe that uh, the government can fix the problem. But like you're saying, if they studied the issue and realized that we've been doing this for decades and it's a disaster, uh, surely they can. Uh, they could see that, but uh, I, I maybe you're right. Maybe they just aren't taking the time to look at it. Well, we're speaking with Willie Richmond. He's a uh, county commissioner in uh, Hannibal, Missouri. Perhaps the concept behind today's program is to educate other politicians on the fact that this supposed third rail of uh, drug prohibition will not kill your uh, chances of getting into office. What's your thoughts on that? I think it's very true. Uh, the drug war is being discussed a lot more now, and uh, I think if politicians would not be scared to make it an issue that uh, uh, we could move forward with drug reform. And But so many politicians are so scared to do anything that's going to might ruffle somebody's feathers that uh, that's why everyone keeps their head buried in the sand. I guess what you're saying, Mr. Richmond, is that it's not a taboo subject to the most of the American people. They understand that uh, it's not working and that there is need for change. Yes, I think so. And I'm, I would like to think that uh, my contribution to this, in a little way anyway, is that the fact that I do make this an issue and I do get elected, and I would hope that would uh, give some other politicians... Uh, some courage to take a stand on this matter. Okay, that's about it for today from the politicians. We'll be doing much more of this during the coming election season. It's time to play Name That Drug by its side effects. Constipation, diarrhea, dizziness, drowsiness, itching, hair loss, wetting, swelling, thirst, vertigo, inflammation of the lung, kidney disease, congestive heart failure, and headaches. Time's up. The answer, a leave for headaches. You know, after years of seeking an interview with a drug warrior, they still won't come on this show for love or money. $1,200 cash. They absolutely refuse to appear on our program. That's why we bring you the following segment. Over the past three years, prescription drug abuse has risen 62%. 
according to a May 10, 2006 article in USA Today. Listen to this headline. Prescriptions send more to ER than cocaine. According to USA Today, out of 1.3 million drug-related ER visits, the harmless drug marijuana accounted for 215,665 of them. 383,350 visits involved cocaine, and nearly 500,000 or 1 in 4 visits involved pharmaceuticals. Prescription drug abuse has the highest number of new users, 2.4 million in 2004 alone, and most abused prescription drugs come from doctors and pharmacists, according to the article. But not to worry. H.R. 1132, the National All Schedules Prescription Drug Electronic Reporting Act, is currently giving money to states to create a drug tracking database. According to the law, pharmacists are required to report the name, address, and telephone number of anyone who has prescribed a controlled substance, as well as prescribing doctor and the details of the prescription. Irresponsible doctors are beginning a drug abuse epidemic, but thanks to the drug war, the government is already taking measures to find them and root them out like the Taliban. This has been Winston Francis with the official Government Truth. We for madness. Mitchell Lawrence, a 17-year-old from Great Barrington, Massachusetts. He won't be graduating from high school with his friends this spring. He can't. He's in jail, serving a two-year sentence for selling one joint's worth of marijuana, about a teaspoonful, to an undercover cop. He's never been arrested before, but he got two years in prison for one joint's worth of pot. Not community service, not a fine. Two years. A cost to taxpayers of nearly $100,000. And a criminal record for life. How could this happen in America when 100 million Americans have smoked marijuana? It takes two things. A bad law and a cruel prosecutor. Mitchell was busted in a drug-free school zone. But drug-free zone laws keep drugs out of our schools and protect our kids, right? wrong. These laws do nothing to protect children. They just fill our prisons with young people like Mitchell Lawrence. Ninety-eight percent of people arrested in drug-free school zones weren't selling drugs to children. Ninety-five percent of all sales aren't near any schools. And most of those arrested didn't even know they were in a so-called school zone, including Mitchell Lawrence. He didn't know that virtually the entire town of Great Barrington, like most American cities, is covered by giant drug-free zones. Mandatory prison for anyone arrested within a thousand feet of a school. That's three football fields. It's a bad law that cruel prosecutors abuse, like fanatical district attorney David Capeless. He decided to press school zone charges on Mitchell Lawrence, a felony for a $20 sale. What happened to Mitchell is happening to young Americans all around the country. The only thing unusual about Mitchell is the color of his skin. 97% of all people arrested in drug-free zones aren't white. The time has come to reform these draconian laws and elect prosecutors who care about reason, compassion, and justice. We need your help to do it. Make our struggle your struggle. Stand with the Lawrence family by supporting a candlelight vigil on the courthouse steps. And join our fight to change these unjust laws. Become a member of the Drug Policy Alliance. Their website, drugpolicy.org. 
Well, that's about it for today's cultural baggage. If you're a station out there that's carrying the Drug Truth Network programs and you're not on our affiliates page, I'd appreciate if you'd send me an email to dean at drugtruth.net. Let me know which program you're carrying. That's our only recompense. Next week, our guest on cultural baggage will be Gustavo de Grief. He's the former attorney general of Colombia and their former ambassador to Mexico. And just like yours truly, he's a member of LEAP, Law Enforcement Against Prohibition. Next week, we'll announce our winner of the Name That Drug War contest. And as always, I remind you, because of drug prohibition, you don't know what's in that bag. Please be careful. To the Drug Truth Network listeners around the world, on behalf of engineer Philip Guffey, this is Dean Becker for Cultural Baggage and the Unvarnished Truth. The show produced at the Pacifica Studios of KPFT, Houston. Jap dancing on the edge of cannabis. <laughs>